Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to double check and you all hear me okay? Because I, uh, uh, my voice will come in and out uh, on its own here. So I'm, I'm praying for God's grace and mercy to be able to communicate to you today the Word of God. Uh, good to have you all here. I'm really excited about uh, this afternoon's uh, women's tea. Looking forward to many of you come. This place will be transformed into a nice, wonderful place for a time of worship and fellowship and praise and study and, and, and just an enjoyable time for the ladies. So we look forward to you coming. I hope that all of you will be able to partake in that. Uh, some of us will be here to just assist and serve you. Yeah, we're looking forward to that as well. Hopefully we can sneak a cookie in. Uh, if you see some crumbs around my pocket, you'll know what happened. All right. <laughs> Let's turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. Now last week, as we were going through the whole of chapter 36 and dealing with the genealogy or I should say, not so much the genealogy, but the generations of, I should say, the generations of Esau, we, we realized some tremendous distinctions in pointing out all of the family that was to follow after Esau. And what we would come to realize is that here was a man that was the elder of two twin, of a set of twins, Esau and Jacob, who had this tremendous conflict even in the very womb of their mother, Rebekah. And the Lord himself pointed out to them that this was a, this was a conflict that was going to continue on for a long, long time, as a matter of fact. We could even say that that conflict continues today. Jacob being who he was, and having the character that he did early on in his life, of one that pursued after the things that Esau had, such as his birthright, and later on the blessing, and to take them in a conniving way, certainly set off in the, in the very heart of, of Esau this bitterness. We talked about that bitterness last time. And it would be a bitterness that quite possibly in the person of Esau was, was, was put away for a time, especially after 20 years when he finally meets up with Jacob again. And of course Jacob thinks that he's going to come and lop his head off or whatever. But nonetheless, they, they finally meet and there's... There's some sense of forgiveness, as it were, possible. They're together when they bury their father, Isaac. And they seem then, again, to have some respect from then on. The only problem is that the family following would continue on with the bitterness. And as I said, that bitterness 
even continues to this day. But as we enter into chapter 37, now we have a, a, a chapter that begins early on in the, first, in the second verse, actually, that tells us that this is the history of, or the generations of Jacob. And I think, well, that's interesting because in, in chapter 36, we're given this whole list of men that, that actually became, uh, became chiefs, and then they became kings, and, and so on and so forth. But the first word after the statement, this is the history of Jacob, is the name Joseph. And from here on, we get to look at this tremendous life of a man named Joseph. And this becomes the history, to some degree, of, of, the, of the nation of Israel. Even though it isn't through Joseph and through his line that the Messiah would come. Yet nonetheless, he becomes a tremendous example of the life of Jesus. So as we begin here in verse 1 of chapter 37, and we're going to look at a few verses and then just focus our attention on something. By the way, I've entitled this series of studies in, in the early part of, of the life of Joseph, God Ain't Done Yet. And so all due respect to you English teachers out there, I just thought I'd throw the word ain't in there just to wake you up. God ain't done yet. And you'll see why we call it that uh, in the life of Joseph. Now, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now, if we can begin to draw some distinctions between Esau and, and, and Jacob at this point, then what we can say is that here we've just spent a whole uh, chapter previous to this looking at a man who went and settled in a place to make it his own and to have a place where all of his family would grow and then begin to uh, actually become chiefs over uh, certain parts of their family and then eventually to become a nation, as it were, and, and settle in, in a place called Seir, uh, Mount Seir, to be specific, uh, in, a, in another place we can call it Edom, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea uh, from, the, the, from the land of promise. And so there is this settling in to the world, as it were. But with Jacob, it says he dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger. And it gives us some understanding and some sense of the contrast now. Because we who follow after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, we're always going to be strangers. We're always going to be strangers in this land. As a matter of fact, in the scriptures, we're always told that we're sojourners. We're just passing through. This isn't our kingdom. We're here, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, as Jesus would point out. As well as the apostles. Paul says that, we, that our citizenship is in heaven. So again, this, this is just a, a, a good way to begin to look at some things that... Bring out typology. Now we've talked about typology before. We're going to talk a lot about it today and focus our attention on that. And, and then in verse 2 it says, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph 
uh, brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, a couple of things. Uh, we are coming back to this next next time. I'm going to be a little bit more specific as we go through the whole chapter next time. But, but here, what I want to establish today are certain types of Christ that Joseph will become. So I, I want to mention here that a lot of times people look at Joseph at this point and say, well, here was a tattletale. Nobody likes tattletales, right? Nobody likes tattletales. Well, we find out somebody was tattling on us, man. We took him out behind the barn and just, you know, we beat him up. Beat him up. Rack him up. Well, we're going to find out that Joseph's brothers didn't like Joseph very much. But there's a number of reasons why we need to see that. By the way, I don't want you to consider him to be a tattletale. And I'll tell you why. Because as we go on in this account, we're going to find out that Jacob actually has Joseph go to check out his brothers. And truth then becomes the issue. Well, keep that in mind. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. Now again, we're going to deal with that next time. Uh, but let me just say very quickly here that a lot of times when we think of this tunic of many colors, we start thinking of psychedelic colors, rainbows and all kinds of stuff on some kind of coat. And if, you, if those, how many of you remember back in the 70s, a, a, a Broadway musical called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? Anybody remember that? You guys are really old. Eh? You're really old, man, because that was a long time ago. And it, but it was all hippies, you know, they were all hippie long hair, and they got this Technicolor green coat, and, you know, just singing all kinds of songs. Well, <clears throat> it, it really wasn't that way, but we'll talk about it later. There's, we'll talk a little bit about it today. Anyway, so he gives him this tunic of many colors, his brothers don't like him. Because notice verse 4, it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably. To him. So now we get a little bit of an idea of where we're going to be. Again, let's consider and keep thinking in, the, in, 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 in typological thinking here. So in our quick study in chapter 36 of the generations of Esau last time, we saw a developing picture of the world with its desire for human leadership over any leadership offered by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel. And this contrasting chapter, which we begin today, simply states at the beginning of verse 2, this is the history of Jacob. And Moses proceeds to focus on the life of a new character in the biblical drama, Joseph, the son of Jacob and Rachel. Now we may not get to every specific contrast between the histories of Esau and Joseph, but there are enough distinctions for us to see the significance. Added to this, and the focus of our study today, will be the typology of Joseph to Jesus. In other words, focusing our attention on Joseph being a type of Jesus Christ. Early on, especially in this chapter, there are certain things said by Joseph that upset his brothers and even his father, giving commentaries, I'm sorry, giving commentators the opportunity to judge Joseph as being boastful or lacking tact in the way that he stated his dreams to his family. Some call it a youthful arrogance. But I want to put that thinking aside, and, and, and I want to concentrate on his need to be truthful. 
put the thinking aside that Joseph was just some kid that spoke before he thought. Put that thinking aside. I don't care how many commentators you've read that have said he's just this youthful, boastful kind of kid. Put it aside. Because as we're dealing with the issue of types, if he indeed is is a type of Jesus Christ, one thing we know about Jesus, he was never boastful. He was never arrogant. Jesus never sinned. And what is the, what is the very root of the sin in man? Pride. Remember that. Well, that was not the character of Jesus. So let's put that thinking out of our minds. As a type of Jesus, the need to be truthful has to matter. The need to be truthful has to matter. So consider the next portion of the text. So let's read on a little bit more. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Now if you start thinking in terms of type, you would start thinking about Jesus going about around his own brothers, brethren as it were, the Jewish people in the time of Christ. And every time he spoke, there was always some faction of people that did what? They mumbled and murmured again amongst themselves, and what did they say? We've got to get rid of this guy. But he is a brother. So, so thinking in those terms, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Now, there is some authority behind the thing that he just said. Please hear. I think sometimes of the words of Jesus when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, a lot of times, the things that Jesus says when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, are things that are very uncomfortable for us to hear. But he says, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, if you know the continuing story of the, of the person of Joseph, that's going to happen where? In Egypt. So what is he doing? He's telling them the truth. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Many dreams, still another dream, and, he, and told it to his brothers, and he said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. Now, you would think that after the threats that they might have given him before, he'd shut up. But he didn't. He says, there's another dream. Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, the eleven stars bowed down to me. So now think about these brothers looking at him. Sun, moon, and eleven stars. Dad, son, mom, moon, 11 stars. Hey! That's us! We're going to bow down to you? Hmm. Well, he even told it to Jacob because it says he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him 
But his father kept the matter in mind. Prophecy has been given through this dream. Now some of this, of course, we have to look as implication, but nonetheless think that of all of the sons of Jacob, the one he loved the most, who was the son of his old age, was also the son who probably listened to his father about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Whereas we know the other brothers pretty much did their own thing, as uh, evidenced by some of the things they did in the recent past. But Joseph listened, and more than likely believed in the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And by this time, of course, as well, as you'll see as we get into chapter 37, that Jacob now becomes, or actually is called Israel a couple of times. Signifying some spiritual standing in, in, in the life of Jacob now, as, as whereas before it was kind of an up and down thing. So the dreams that come to him, Joseph consider, considers as something that comes from God, and certainly they are because they will be realized later. But getting back to the issue of truth, truth may be very unpleasant to hear. What these dreams were saying to the brothers was unpleasant, to think that their youngest brother was going to be the one to whom they would bow. Truth may be very unpleasant to hear, but truth needs to be told and truth needs to be heard. A couple of weeks ago when we had our White as the Gate conference here, it was all about truth. It was all about standing for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing upon the word of God as truth today and not compromising that truth. <clears throat> One of the verses of scripture that I use as well as the speakers used at that conference is that Paul, admonishing Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verses 2 through 5, he said, preach the word. Preach the word, be instant or be ready in season and out of season. And convince or convict, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. That sounds like today, doesn't it? We've already dealt with that. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. And you can stop there and kind of consider that even that kind of thinking of, of just being watchful and, and enduring afflictions was something that we could learn actually from Joseph himself. One who would be sent by his own father to watch out after the brothers and the flocks. But in the process, he would have to endure afflictions, afflictions from his own brethren. Afflictions from his own family. But this is for us. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. Now, I've, I've, uh, I know I pointed out in times past that, <clears throat> that there are many types in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. 
that point directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Various people, sacrificial offerings, manna. Manna points to Jesus. Jesus called himself the bread of life. Uh, the tabernacle, the temple, foundation stones, cornerstones. These are typical pictures of Jesus. But, but there are over a hundred incidents and details in the history of Joseph alone that point beyond any question to the one that is to come. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if these are found in the book of Genesis alone, what can be said of all the rest of the Old Testament? Is it any wonder that Jesus would say to the Jews who were wanting to kill him, uh, as, as, as we find in John 5, verse 39, whereas if you read at the, uh, the beginning of this particular chapter, you realize that there are already groups of people listening to Jesus and wanting to kill him, and it says, you search the scriptures, he says, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they that testify of me. These words. You're looking in them and you search them because in them you think you find eternal life. Reading them by robe, memorizing them and all of this kind of stuff. But you're not looking at me because they all testify of me. From Genesis to Second Chronicles. Uh, by the way, that's, that's the way the Hebrew Bible is set up. The Christian Bible is from Genesis to Malachi. Still the same passage, the same Tanakh, the same the whole of the of the Old Testament. From Genesis through the history and the prophets and the poetry, it all points to Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. I was reading a, a, a book written by a man named Stan Telchin who was a Jewish businessman back years and years ago whose daughter went to Boston College and it was there that she, as a Jewish girl, met her Messiah, Jesus. And she called her father to tell him that she had come to know that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And of course he argued with her and told her that she was beside herself and shouldn't think those things. Jews, you know, Jews don't believe in Jesus. Jews can't believe in Jesus. And she said, oh no, you can believe in Jesus. Anyway, long story short, in his account of this story, <clears throat> in a book called Betrayed, by the way, he talks about going to synagogue. He talks about his upbringing in the Jewish faith. He went to synagogue whenever you wanted to. <coughs> Excuse me. You would hear the scriptures read. If you grew up in the, in the synagogue, then of course, uh, by the age of 13, as a boy, you would... <clears throat> Uh, you would learn the Hebrew scriptures or portions of it and memorize them for your bar mitzvah. Uh, but it was never something that was in their heart. And you can take the word of God, even us, as, as, as today holding the Old and New Testaments in our Bibles. We can memorize portions, but if it's not in our heart, what good is it? 
If we don't believe it, what good is it? If we don't trust the word of God, what good is it? You can search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So today I just want to take you through two types only. And even though I'm only going to focus on two types, you're going to see much more. You're going to see many more as we've already seen a few along the way. Let's look at the first one, which is Joseph was well-beloved of his father. Joseph was well-beloved of his father. This becomes a type of Christ and his relationship with his heavenly father. Or our heavenly father, which, of course, is his father. (coughs) And we see that in verse 3 of our text. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Well, even in his most spiritual, spiritual and obedient behavior, and I, I say that simply because it is here that we begin to see that Jacob is called Israel, which again is significant because it reminds us, you know, that when God called him Jacob, it was saying, you know, Jacob means, you know, conniver and thief and, and not, not a good thing. But Israel means governed by God. So now he's being called governed by God. And, he, and so we would, we would tend to believe that here he's, he's certainly becoming more spiritual in his, in his walk and behavior. So even in his most spiritual and obedient behavior, Israel is said to love Joseph more than all of his children because he was a son of his old days. Now this might bring up some thoughts about the way that Isaac and Rebekah played favorites with their sons. Isaac loved Esau and Jacob loved, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob, right? And back when we studied that, we said there was obvious favoritism that was hurting the family here. But this is different. Just in the wording itself. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and also he made him a tunic of many colors. Now that, that thought has to go along with it because as, you'll, as we'll learn in just a moment, that tunic was a symbol <clears throat> and a type of position and authority that was actually to be given to the one who would have a birthright and a blessing. But we'll talk about that another time. Soon. So even in his most spiritual and obedient behavior, Israel is said to love Joseph more than all his children because he's a son of his old age. Of course, if we bring comparisons now to God the Father and Jesus, we know that God the Father has been from all eternity. I mean, he has no beginning, he has no end, and still he is called the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel. And so there is some typology for us to consider here. Daniel 7 verse 9 says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days were seated. Notice, the Ancient of Days. Now when do we think of the the word ancient? You might think of me. But I'm thankful there's others in this room that are a little bit older than I am. But you know, that guy's ancient, you know. 60 years old. God, you should be dead by now, you know. That was our thinking when we were kids, okay? So don't, don't, uh, don't laugh. 
But he's called the Ancient of Days. So we have this idea or thought, you know, ancient means old. But we have to remember, that's from our perspective. When God created the heavens and the earth and then created us, He gave us a time continuum now for us to, to be able to handle a God that is actually outside of that time continuum and that He is eternal. Who knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. But what we need to know about our God is that before the mountains were brought forth, Psalm 90 verse 2, or ever had formed the earth or the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's always been. No beginning, no end, which means He's ageless. He's ageless. And although Jacob had many sons, it is clear that the mention of Joseph being loved by him more, it sets off a number of typical pictures. Now when I use the word typical today, it means I'm going to be dealing with types. So this is setting off a number of typical pictures. Just this verse, the, the verse 3, you know, where Joseph loved Joseph more than all of his other children. Take for example, his brothers hating him because of the apparent favoritism. His brothers hating him for that apparent favoritism. Then there is the calling, <coughs> excuse me, the calling that Joseph would later have in saving or rescuing his family from Egypt. <laughs> That's typical of Jesus coming here to rescue us. And even the code given to Joseph, which caused even more jealousy and envy and hatred, was all about a position of authority, which we will see that Jesus had in the presence of his Jewish brethren. So let's deal with a couple of these things. Consider the fulfillment of these types in the person of Jesus. Let's take this issue of his brothers hating him. Let's look at Mark chapter 3, verse 21. Mark chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus going about preaching and teaching and healing and delivering people from demons and all of this kind of stuff. People were following him everywhere Jesus went. There were many times when his family wanted to come alongside him, we need to, we need to speak to you, Jesus. And, and Jesus is off about doing all of these things. But when his own people heard about this, now, that phrase, his own people, in the Greek, that, that phrase, his own people, is not talking about just the Jewish people, it's talking about his family. It's talking about his family. And it says, well, when his own people heard about this, all that was going on before, <coughs> they went out to lay hold of him, <coughs> for they said, he is out of his mind. <laughs> I said, this guy's nuts. He's crazy. Got to take him to a rubber room. That's what they thought about their brother. You go to John chapter 7, and there in verse 5, it tells us very simply, for even his brothers did not believe in him. His brothers. Jesus had brothers and sisters who were born to Joseph and Mary. By the way, the scripture is very clear about that. Scriptures are very clear that it's talking about brothers. It's not talking about anything else. Can't change that. His brothers hated him. They didn't believe him. Speaking about Jesus. When we look at that passage in John 1.11 when it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. 
I know that generally speaking, we and, and, it, and it's right that it talks about him coming to the Jewish people because the Bible is very clear that Jesus came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. To the Jew first, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But it's interesting to note, if you, if you consider this, that, that he came, into, came to his own, he came to his own people, yes, to the Jewish people. But he came by way of a family. And he came to his own, and, and not so much speaking of just, uh, speaking of Mary, who always knew who Jesus was. Specifically, he came through that family who didn't believe him. His own did not receive him. And his own brethren would not believe him until after the crucifixion and, and even the resurrection. And they believed. What about the issue of favoritism? <clears throat> Matthew uh, chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 17. Two things that are said, actually one thing that is said twice, on different occasions. Both said by God the Father himself <coughs> to be heard. The first one was said at the baptism of Jesus, when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. In Matthew chapter uh, 3 verse 17, it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven. Matthew records this. A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son. Now you know what we hear a lot of times today is, is a lot of people say, Oh, listen, we're all God's children. All of us, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in His sight. <clears throat> the Bible is very clear. We are his children through adoption. Because at one time we were not the children of God, but the children of the devil. And yet, God adopted us, and we have the right and the privilege to call him Abba Father. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm doing my best to keep my voice going. But to be the child of God. Going back to John chapter 1, it says, He came to His own, His own did not receive Him, but to as many as received Him, both Jew and Gentile, to them gave He the right and the privilege to become the sons of God to as many as believe in His. In His name. Yes, it's a Bible test today. And you don't leave until you pass it. To believe in His name. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It's clear that it tells us that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That doesn't burden us at all, does it? Not at all. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, the one he loved above all, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There was that other <clears throat> occurrence, and that's in John 17, I'm sorry, Matthew 17. When Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a mountain, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And there Jesus reveals his glory when he meets with Moses and Elijah and is transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And there in verse 5 it says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, hear him, listen to him, obey him, trust him. He's the real deal. I'm well pleased in him. It shouldn't bother us that the Father is well pleased with Jesus. Concerning the type of coat given to Joseph as speaking of position and authority, I'd like for you to turn, if you will, to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you're still in Matthew, that's, that's good because we're going to, we're going to be a lot in Matthew because it's, it's a good thing that we're kind of looking at all these things in the gospel of Matthew because Matthew, by the way, was written actually to the Jewish mindset. It, it, it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but to the Jewish mindset. So, this is why we're spending a lot of time here in Matthew. But at the very end of one of the greatest sermons, well, certainly every sermon that Jesus preached was great. As a matter of fact, they're in the top one. Not the top ten, the top one. Every one of Jesus is perfect. Perfect messages. But at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, this is what we find uh, in, in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at His teaching. I mean, they didn't consider Jesus to have come out of the best rabbinical schools in Jerusalem. He was from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He was a son of a carpenter. They probably thought he was out of his mind because he breathed in too much sawdust or something. I don't know. But they were astonished at his teaching. But notice verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus taught with authority because He had authority given to Him by the Father. Though He <clears throat> laid it aside voluntarily in heaven to come and take upon Himself flesh, He had authority. And he used that authority when he preached. And as we see in Mark 1.27, also when he healed and when he delivered people from demons because it says they were all amazed. <clears throat> so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. When Joseph was given a coat by Jacob. It was a coat that represented authority and position. 
And even before Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection, this is what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. He's always had it. So Joseph becomes a type of that, with that coat. And again, we'll talk more about the coat next time. The second type that I want to deal with in closing with this particular thought because of time, but <coughs> excuse me, is that Joseph was sent by his father to see about his brethren and flocks. That becomes a type of Jesus being sent from heaven by the Father to this earth. So let's look at this passage in verses 12 through 17 of our text in Genesis 37. It says, Then his brothers <coughs> went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Uh, I'm going to do all I can to keep my voice here for just a few more minutes. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now take note of Shechem. I'm going to ask you the question, do you remember what happened in Shechem just recently on in our study of Genesis? If you don't remember, it's okay. None of the other... Uh, the, the other services remembered either, you know, so it's okay. But if you do remember, keep it uh, in your thoughts. <clears throat> then his brother went, went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Now this is interesting that Shechem wasn't just around the corner. This was a long way away. So, they've gone a long way away from home. A long way away from Hebron. And it says, come, I will send you to them. How far had the world gotten when Jesus was sent to this world? Who came, by the way, it says, as it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Come, I will send you to them. So, he said to him, here I am. Joseph responded with willingness. Please keep that in mind. Typically, he responded with willingness. And then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem of course, what we'll find out later on as we go through the rest of this chapter is <clears throat> that all things were not well with them. Just as it was when Jesus came to this earth, all was not well with man. Man was far from God, wasn't he? Man today, without Christ, is far from God. Now a certain man found him. And there he was wandering in the field. By the way, i got to tell you, Joseph is human. Don't forget that. I'm not saying that Joseph is perfect. He is a type of Christ, but he's, he's, he's human, just like you and me. How many of you got lost this week at Black Friday, going store to store? You didn't know where you were. <laughs> Nobody went shopping Friday? How many of you went shopping Friday? Wow. Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they lie about. <clears throat> okay. Anyway, there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, say, what are you seeking? And so he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are uh, where, or where they are feeding their flocks. 
And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. We're going to expand on the, the typology here later, but I just want to kind of generally deal with it. Because not only is Joseph being sent by his father, but Joseph is also willing to go at his father's command. Willingness to go. Joseph said, here I am. Isaiah to God says, here I am, send me. Jesus was willing to voluntarily lay down his position and his glory to take upon himself flesh to come to rescue us. God the Father also sent His Son Jesus to the brethren, to His brethren, the Jewish people, as made clear by Jesus' own statement in Matthew 15, verse 24, when He said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And if Jesus said it, it's true. He came first and foremost to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in fact, earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus sent His disciples as well, the same way in Matthew 10, verse 6, He says to them, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to them. And as for Jesus' willingness to come, Jesus said this in John 5 verse 30. He said, I can of myself do nothing. Now, remember, Jesus can do all things. But again, coming to this earth voluntarily, we read a portion of that thought in Philippians this morning, verse 2, or chapter 2, I should say, when he humbled himself and took upon himself flesh to go to the cross. I can't of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So he is willing to do all that the Father sends him to do. Willingness. It is significant that Joseph was sent from the valley of Hebron to find his brothers, first in Shechem and then in Dothan. But these three names give us a progression of sorts, uh, typical of wandering from home, typical of wandering from spiritual strength and from moral strength as well. Hebron itself, the word means fellowship, but Jacob's sons had long ago left that place of fellowship. And they went a long way from that fellowship. And so Hebron suggests the loss of the spiritual side of things. And as we shall see later, the sons of Jacob were rebellious and self-willed, wanting their own way, heedless of, of their father's care for them, and bitter toward his beloved son. Shechem means strength, but these sons had left that place of strength as well. Shechem was the place where, oh by the way, I said, you know, you remember what happened in Shechem. Shechem was the place where Dinah, their sister, had lost her moral innocence, and Simeon and Levi lost their moral integrity, and committed a great atrocity in that area. Wiping out a whole city of people. 
And in this, we are reminded of two things. In this we are reminded, first of all, of the nature of the heart of man. As Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, quoting from the Old Testament. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And it all can be summed up in the one statement that Paul will make later on in the book of of Romans when he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the first thing we're reminded of here. But the second is of greater importance, even though it's of equal importance, it's of greater importance for us in knowing this. As he says in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, for when we were still without strength, still without strength, the strength of God, the strength of the God who created us, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul points out in the book of Ephesians. Dead, dead, dead spiritually. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly being all those who are not righteous. No, not one. All those who have fallen short of the glory of God. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The two things we need to remember. I think probably better said in the words of of John Newton, the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace. I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. Yes, we are sinners. But God sent His only begotten Son. And He demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just as He died within God's understanding and God's time continuum as it were for the very brothers of Joseph he died for us God has made a way where there seems to be no way we used to sing that song I hope we sing it again sometime God has made a way where there seems to be no way this is all only scratching the surface of a greater study in typology. But there is one thing to consider that we haven't even mentioned yet, and that is that nowhere in the New Testament does it speak of Joseph as a type of Christ. Isn't that interesting? 
Nowhere in the New Testament does it speak of Joseph as being a type of Christ. And yet, page after page after page of commentaries, and commentators, I should say, both old and new, list over a hundred types of Christ and Joseph. Amazing. One commentator wrote that we may, without hesitation, look upon the history of Joseph as a type of a pathway of Christ, or a type of the pathway of Christ, from lowliness to exaltation, from slavery to liberty, from suffering to glory. All of this we will see in the life of Joseph, whom we will be studying for the rest of our time in the book of Genesis. Which means we're very close to finishing Genesis. But not that close. But close enough. But Joseph, think about this. Joseph was loved and he was hated. Joseph was favored and yet he was abused. Joseph was tempted and yet he trusted. Joseph was exalted and he was abased. And yet at no point in the 110 year life of Joseph did he ever get his eyes off of God or did he ever cease to trust God. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out that God walked with Joseph. And Joseph walked with God. Adversity didn't harden Joseph's character. Prosperity didn't ruin Joseph. Joseph never complained and he never compromised. As a result, Joseph never lost his power before God. As we know that Jesus never lost his power before God. Even on that one day, when Jesus cried out from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus never lost. He laid it aside to die for you and to die for me. Joseph's greatest single characteristic was his absolute faithfulness to God under all circumstances. And it is through this that God worked to exalt him so highly. Now if you were here on, on, on Thursday morning for our Thanksgiving service, we read the text from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus to you or for you. In everything give thanks. And I said in everything, meaning in every circumstance, in every trial, in every triumph, in every victory, in every valley, in every situation, in everything that you go through, in everything give thanks. Because it is not for everything, but in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so as we look at the life of Joseph, I said earlier that I've entitled this series of studies in the life of Joseph, God ain't done yet. No, he's not. He's not done with us. He's still working his work in us. To begin to understand that in our Christian walk, I pray, will move us toward that character in each of our lives as well.
the character of absolute faithfulness in God. Was Joseph perfect? No, he was a sinner. But isn't it a wonderful thing how God chose to keep our focus on Joseph as a type of Jesus throughout his whole life? That he never complained and he never compromised. I leave you with the words of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, called part of what is called the Beatitudes, it's, it, he says in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now I've got to ask you a question. When you are reviled and when you're persecuted and when you go through rough things, is rejoicing the first thing on your mind? (laughs) No. For all of you who said no, you get a hundred. For all of you who said yes, you get a zero. For all of you who didn't say anything, boy, we'll pray for you. I don't know how to answer you. Let's be honest here. We don't immediately go to rejoicing and being exceedingly glad. But this is what Jesus said we are to do. And he says this because he knows that if we trust in him, all things are possible. Because with Jesus, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with Christ. It is tough, but you know, we can do it. With God's presence, with God's help, with God's spirit, these things can be accomplished. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, because that's really where all the rewards really matter. We'll get some here, but eventually some of these rewards, you know, they go by the way of everything else. You know, the second law of thermodynamics, you know, they just kind of wear away, but not in heaven. Not in heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we have a wonderful adventure before us in the life of Joseph. And I do have to say, this is the earliest I've ever stopped on a second service on a Sunday morning. So I hope I get a hundred in your books. Let's pray.